Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Roll up, roll up, get your offers in, place those bids because Liverpool Football Club is on the market. Yes, American owners FSG have decided the time is right for fresh investment at Anfield. Just how significant is that news for Reds the world over? We'll dive into the details shortly. It seems unusual that a day in which Liverpool draw Real Madrid in the Champions League knockout stages that the tie isn't the biggest story of the day, but it certainly is a mouth-watering prospect. As well as Antonio Conte heading back to Milan with his Spurs side and Chelsea playing German club Borussia Dortmund for the very first time. And in the Europa League, matches don't get much bigger than the Titan tie between Manchester United and Barcelona. Our reaction to all of that to come on Football Social Daily, the award-winning daily Premier League podcast. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss a beat, right up to and including the World Cup in Qatar. My name's Niall and joining me today on FSD, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Morning, boys. Morning. I assume we're going to bin all that off and and just talk about the the omission of Joel Linton from the Brazilian national team. And uh, that'll be the whole podcast. <laughs> it's probably because they've chosen about 400 centre-forwards <laughs> in their squad. What is it they've got? Is it 11 forwards they chose? They yeah, nine, nine as actual forwards and then two midfielders, which are also like almost definitely forwards as well. So, yeah, it's uh, the exact opposite of England taking eight, eight right-backs. Uh, Brazil have gone and picked nine strikers. Well, at least that shows you the sort of football that maybe they're intending to play during the World Cup in Qatar when England picked loads of defenders. I think that probably sums up how Gareth Southgate likes to play um, quite nicely as well. But your midfielder Bruno Guimaraes got in as well. So he did. I guess if you can't have Joel Linton, you've got the other. Yeah, I mean, of the two is, is the better one, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, just, it's just jarring that Fred's in there, to be honest. Um, I don't know how Fred gets in there when Joel Linton can't, but... <laughs> It is what it is. I think I I did have high hopes when uh, Tite was at a Newcastle game um, last month. I think um, and Bruno played and and Joe Linton scored in that game as well. And I was thinking, oh, brilliant! Like he's got he's got a chance here. But <laughs> never mind. Does he think his name is just Joe Linton? <laughs> like some English central midfield player. Yes, Chiche, the Brazil coach, has made his selections. Gareth Southgate yet to do so, but he will later on this week. And when that happens, we'll bring it to you here on Football Social Daily. So if you hit subscribe that way, you'll be right up to date with all of the latest with England going into the World Cup and, of course, with the Premier League. And Premier League news doesn't get really much bigger than the fact that one of the biggest clubs in the country, if not in Europe, is now up for sale. Liverpool are on the market. The owners, FSG, have decided the time is right for new investment in the club. This is a big story, Marley, when it comes to British football ownership. Liverpool have been one of the best and most successful clubs in English football history. They had a 30-year spell of not winning the Premier League title after dominance in the 70s, the 80s, and perhaps for a period in, in the early 90s as well. So with that time period that's passed, 
Liverpool have still remained a massive football club and they've kind of rejuvenated themselves under Jurgen Klopp and won Champions Leagues and Premier Leagues and FA Cups and whatnot. But now the owners have decided that they're ready for fresh investment. So what do you make of this story? Uh, it's it's an interesting one. I'm not I'm not entirely sure what's changed because apparently they've they've said things like this before where if um if the right person comes along we're not we're not open like we're not closed on a sale we're we're quite sort of receptive to it but this one seems like um it's got the it's got the traction i think if if somebody wanted if somebody really wanted to buy liverpool and and turned up with three and a half four billion or whatever it was i think you could have bought liverpool at any point in the last five years however now it's it's almost like it's the difference between you getting an offer for your house um, that's too good to turn down, and this is Liverpool actively asking for offers. It's actually going to an estate agent and putting it on the market. That's what it seems like. Um, so now you're going to get the 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 very select few people in the world that can come up with that kind of money and are ready to invest it. You're going to get consortiums from America and and probably the Middle East, and you're going to get uh, the you know some some people who you might not want in in football ownership asking if they can uh, if they can take on the the club so it's time for um liverpool fans to meet to meet the uh, the journalists that like to talk about morals every now and again and and potentially jump into bed with some some dirty money because it's it's flying around everywhere else so it's kind of it's one of those where do you uh, do you take it and and shut up or do you the immorals drive you away because we all know that doesn't doesn't happen in football and I want to talk. <laughs> I'd like to think on Football Social Daily we're quite, we're quite honest and we like to call things um, as fairly as we can. But I was slightly sensationalist with what I said in the intro there. Liverpool aren't explicitly up for sale, Joel. I think the statement suggested that, you know, we're not willing to completely give up on Liverpool Football Club we're still fully committed to the cause whilst we're the owners that was the message I was getting from FSG who are current custodians of the club but it certainly did feel to me like they are willing to listen to offers of new investments so I guess the question is why now because previously we've seen the club distance themselves from these sorts of revelations when it comes to potential new ownership I think this season has been very telling for them compared to the last five years. And that's purely because when you look at Liverpool's situation compared to City, the owners must be looking at the playing board and just thinking, how much more investment do we need to keep putting into this club just to keep tabs of City? Because in the last five years, they managed to keep to the tails of them with not as much investment as City have been putting in. And now the fact that they probably need a good 200 million putting into that Liverpool squad... I think now is the right time. They've they've realised and acknowledged the fact that I don't believe they can take it any further than they have. Because obviously when they first bought the club in 2010 for 300 million, I mean, they've transformed in that time. It all started with when Brendan Rodgers tried to do that title charge and then obviously Klopp has just absolutely transformed the whole club. They've got in an amazing recruitment strategy, the right people who've driven the club forward on a pretty decent budget as well. Let's not forget, especially compared to City. And as a United fan, I'm quite envious of what's happening at the moment because the owners are looking at the situation and they acknowledge the fact that they probably can't take the club forward as much as maybe another richer owner can. Whereas in our situation, the Glazers, 
should have acknowledged that years ago and should have done the exact same kind of statement to say, you know what, we've taken the club as far as we can. It needs a massive amount of investment. So let's pass it on to hands who can actually do that and take it to the next level. So you know what, I think Liverpool fans can look at their owners with a little bit of dignity and just to say that they understand the situation, that it probably needs to get put into richer hands if they are to continue that momentum that they've put in the last decade. Because right now, I think it's really starting to show that the lack of investment on the pitch is where they're faltering. And I think the only reason why they actively putting it up for sale, so to speak, is because they can't take it forward anymore. Well, I've seen reports that have suggested that Liverpool have been offered around £3 billion for the club in the past and that offer or those offers has been rejected over the course of however many years FSG have been the owners. And if you're right in what you say, Joel, and that they bought the club for £300 million, to then reject a £3 billion offer, that's tenfold in terms of an improvement on the investment, which is remarkable, really. And it feels to me, Marley, that some of the gripes that Liverpool fans have with the ownership is the lack of investment on the playing side. And do you think that we are seeing that at this point in time with the way Liverpool are performing this season? Because everyone compares Liverpool and Manchester City. Naturally, they've been the two best teams in the Premier League over the last few years and they've been competing neck and neck. But City have stretched away from Liverpool at this point in time. And lots of Liverpool fans have pointed their fingers at the owners as if to say, you've not spent enough money on players to keep us competitive. So what do you think of that? Uh, I I think it's very... It's very football fan-ish, isn't it, to say we've not spent enough money because we're not winning. And then look at your team. You've got the world's most expensive goalie, the world's most expensive centre-back um, at the time. Um, you've got Darwin Nunes, who just cost £80 million. You've got a guy who you think is the best right-back in the world, even though he can't defend, Trent Alexander-Arnold. You've got Fabinho, who is one of the best holding midfielders in the world. And you've got Mo Salah up front, who's who's probably the best winger in the world in the last three or four years. Should Probably should have won the Ballon d'Or at some point in that time. If Benzema didn't win the Champions League with uh, with Real Madrid, Salah would probably have a golden ball on his mantelpiece at home now. But it's think, the whole thing's kind of reminding me of just how how bad a football, football is as a business because only one team can win the Premier League. Even though 20 teams are spending 200 million plus, 300 million plus, and selling the clubs for for more and more money, and you know, well into the billions. Chelsea went for three billion. Um, you know, Liverpool might go for four billion. Man United might go in, in the next few years for for four and a half, five billion, maybe. You never know. Um, but because only one team can win the Premier League, and only one team can win the Champions League, and sometimes that's the same team, it just reduces the reward for the massive financial risk that you take because if you finish second in the Premier League you know there's that old cliche in there nobody nobody remembers who finishes second because you didn't win you didn't win anything so if you spend so much money like look at Everton for example over the last few years they've spent so much money and they're absolutely nowhere in the Premier League and everyone goes well they've spent money terribly but one guy is still sat there with a huge hole in his bank account or albeit not as big as like what we'd feel as normal people, but you know he's he spent so much money and he's getting nowhere, and that's that's football. Like there's no guarantee in it. So after a few years, I think FSG have have done all this um, spending and spending, and they've got a Champions League, which is great, and they've ended and ended the wait for the Premier League, which is even better. 
However, they've continued to to put money in and and spend and okay, it, it might not be enough in Liverpool's fans' eyes, but it's still a lot of money to keep that team competitive and buy Darwin Nunes and and buy Thiago on his wages and and keep everyone sort of happy and stuff like that. Uh, give Salah a new contract, for example, but it's it's now it's all hinged on what happens on that on that field every Saturday, and if a few results go against you, which is absolutely no fault of the owners, then you know look at Man. I think Man City are like fifteen points ahead of Liverpool now in the league or something like that. So the league's pretty much gone, and we're not we're not even at Christmas, and nobody's got the Christmas tree up yet except absolute psychopaths. <laughs> but you know nobody the, the league's gone, so it's like yeah. at the time it doesn't surprise me because. The the um the financial sort of hit that they're gonna take is is big. So now when the fans are going, oh, owners out, we 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 you know we're we're sick of not competing. You've competed for the last four or five years, and you've done bloody well to compete, by the way. But with one of the best club sides I've ever seen in my life, up there with Barcelona twenty twelve, but. It doesn't always work like that. There's no guarantees. So when you come up short, it costs a lot to come up short. And that's why FSG have gone, do you know what? This isn't financially viable for us to keep pumping money into it and not guaranteeing ourselves of winning anything. Yeah, and I, I totally get where you're coming from. And actually, I guess it's a case in point that the grass is not always greener, Joel. Often when we see these reports that a club is on the market and fresh investment is welcomed, a lot of supporters, and maybe I'm totally misreading the room here when it comes to the Liverpool fans, but a lot of supporters tend to go when they see these news and rumours of fresh ownership or fresh investment. They tend to go completely to the positives. They go, we're going to be competitive again. We're going to get all of these players and it's going to be great for us. We're going to start challenging. For instance, Newcastle, who are owned by Mike Ashley, as Marley knows, then get the Saudi investment. And everyone was very positive about that because it couldn't have been much worse than what Mike Ashley was dishing up. However, there is a case of the grass isn't always greener. These things can backfire. So, I mean, how how do you think that this will be managed? Because it, it seems like FSG are prepared to sell the club entirely if the right offer comes in. But from the way I read the statement, it seems like they're willing to kind of do some sort of co-ownership or joint share sort of thing. I think when you look at the valuation, like you mentioned, I read that Forbes value it at 3.5 billion, which is the yeah. 22nd most valuable sports brand in mm. ever in history. Uh, oh, well, I've seen some lot. valuations, Joel, that are as high as 5 billion. I mean, yeah, so, it could be like, look at Chelsea. I mean, it was initially, what, 2 billion and then suddenly it reached 3.5. Like these clubs are super high assets. And I think for any club, sorry, for any person, individual or any consortium to afford that, you're going to have deep pockets either way. So I don't think it's a worrying situation for any new prospective person to come in because they're going to have to have ridiculous amounts of wealth to even just afford to get on the table, let alone to actually control the club. Uh, But on that side, I do agree with the fact that FSG have been the owners who have put all of this in place, which has allowed Liverpool to be pretty successful maybe not as successful as they should have been had they had um, owners who put even more of their own money into the club but the fact that their recruitment is probably one of the best in England for the good part of the last six years uh, the fact that they actually managed to hire Klopp and be toe-to-toe with City who basically have unlimited amounts of funds available to them you have to commend them for that and I think the only issue you'd have there is if a new owner comes in, as we've seen with Todd Bowley, for example, you know, their recruitment strategy is very flippant, to say the least. 
Uh, and then obviously when you compare it to Newcastle, even though they have absolute bands amount of money, they've done it the right way where they've got the right football people in. So you have to trust that the new owners are going to be people who, if they have flaws in the footballing area, they bring the right people in to actually guide the club even further than it has been. So there is that worry. But I mean, look at Liverpool's situation right now. This is the reality of a lack of investment, which catches up on you really quickly when you're up against the likes of City, who are consistently paying ridiculous amounts every single summer for the best talents. Liverpool haven't done that and it's showing this season. So I don't think they can get any much worse, to be honest, compared to right now. And I think judging by Jurgen Klopp's comments in the summer as well with regards to transfers, I think he's a little bit frustrated as well with the fact that, you know, he's he's propped the club up for half a decade. He's managed to keep pace of one of the best English sides that's ever been in the Premier League. And now all of a sudden is He's, he's almost like back to square one again where he has to revamp the whole team and I think he is crying out for a bit of investment as well so let's see but I think this one will rumble on for a good couple of years to be honest because it is a big amount of money isn't it and the fact that you know I don't think you compare it to the Chelsea situation because they had to find a buyer quickly with the revolving situation around Roman Abramovich whereas this one obviously is a bit more of a private sale they can spend their time looking for the right one so I think it'll be one that takes a lot of time. Obviously this is a, a complex story but also not a complex story at the same time effectively Liverpool's owners are looking for some fresh investment and I've mentioned this a few weeks ago on Football Social Daily Marley that I think we haven't seen the last of the European Super League particularly with the way that Barcelona uh, are struggling financially there are a couple of clubs I think is it Barcelona and one other that are still officially in the European Super League I've seen reports this morning that say that the collapse of the European Super League which Liverpool were a part of initially was one of the key factors in this decision for FSG to ask for fresh investment in Liverpool Football Club what do you think that tells us about the owner's intentions with Liverpool and the subsequent decision to ask for some fresh cash injection because if the Super League collapsing was the key to them deciding that it wasn't for them, maybe there are more sinister intentions at play here um, in terms of what they were trying to achieve out of the football club. Uh, <laughs> We're getting into murky waters, aren't we? We don't, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just basically what I'm saying is the fact that if this report is true, that the European Super League breaking down was the reason for them to put the club on the market... Mm. It's believable. Does that just does that just not tell us something in itself about the direction the club was potentially going in? What like they want? Well, the the owners, yeah. Does it not tell us what the owners are truly there for? Rather than you know, they're not they're not there. What money? To, you mean? Yeah, they're not there yeah. to safeguard English football, are they? They're, oh no, you know. no. Um, I think I don't want to. I don't want to come across as like as sort of xenophobic and and sort of look at. You know the the American model that FSG have got. Um, you know they they own is it the is it Dallas Cowboys they own or something like that. One of the NFL teams and NFL is kind of like it's just it's so different from football in the fact that it's just there's so much money because everybody sort of gets guaranteed it almost like because the the way like there's no promotion there's no relegation. You know the top, I think it's eight teams qualify for the for the end of season playoffs and stuff like that, and it's it's not the same. Like there's more guarantees over the money you can make if you do certain things, and the, and the parameters are so, in my opinion, a lot are a lot easier to hit than in the Premier League. Like I said before, one team wins it, 
in the Champions League, if you have injuries and stuff going into a game, mm. uh, and in and it's February, it's a cold night, and you've gone away on a on a crap plane ride to to Spain, and you get turned over by Real Madrid, that's it for another year. You've got to then work double hard to get back there, strengthen, and come back again. So everything can like switch on one, on one. Um, on one like you know you 90 think, minutes so do you think the difference is and sorry to cut you off there but fsg i've just looked here they own boston red sox which are one of the most famous baseball teams in the world along with the yankees in my opinion certainly for us over here in the uk if you ask a british person to name two baseball teams they'd <laughs> say the red sox and the yankees pretty mm. much um they also own the nhl which is the ice hockey league uh, in north america uh pittsburgh penguins um uh, do you think the difference is with Liverpool and with the Premier League and with British football in general, the level of competition is is higher than that in American sports? And hear me out here, you have the draft, don't you? So the team that finished bottom of the table gets first pick of the best players and the chances of one team winning a Super Bowl back-to-back are very slim. Whereas the chances of a team winning the Premier League back-to-back, if they're on top, are actually much higher than it would be in an American sport. So do you think that there's an element of that and just the general ruthlessness and relentlessness of, of English football that sometimes takes these American investors in particular by surprise. Yeah, I do. I think it all, all what we've just said there is comes back to the, the earlier point I was making in the fact that it's not, it's hard to make money in football. It's not a, a good financial decision because if you like, for example, if you own the world's, sorry, the, the league's worst um, NFL team, you might get the you know you get the best college player the next year and you will get better and it might take it might take 5 years but you are going to come come better you know they're going they're going to you're going to slowly even out in the premier league if you come you know if if that happens to you you just get your neck stamped on if you come second by 15 points and don't strengthen in the summer you know you know where like man city for example will just carry on and carry on and carry on and you won't close that gap unless you spend mad money and even then there's no guarantee like i said before so i think once i think things certain certain things have to happen for some owners to to realize that and sometimes it's an economic thing it might be a recession it might be you know the economy sort of um slowing down a bit so they're they're feeling the money a bit more and and start looking at the the uh, balance sheets and going well this isn't actually a good investment sometimes it's it's just frustration with with Oh, sod it, we're never going to catch them without me spending half a billion and I'm not going to do that. So it can come from different things. It'd be interesting to see what what it is with FSG that are, that are now tempting them to say, okay, right, we will walk away if somebody offers the money. However, it is a bit of a coincidence that Liverpool have started the season poorly. Um, Man City have signed the best striker on the market last season. Um, and the fact that he's only 22 and or whatever is, is going to extend that period for for Liverpool to get back Mm. Um, and it's not really a surprise. Obviously we're reacting to this news today on Football Social Daily yesterday FSG the owners of Liverpool basically said that the club is for want of a better term up for sale they're welcoming fresh investment and they're also listening to offers to take the club off of their hands. We'll probably try and get some more expert opinion because we are just three football fans who don't support Liverpool trying to have our say on the ownership of the club and if you want your say you can get in touch with us on social media. Why not let us know what you think on the podcast. To get involved you can find our Twitter page which is at FSDpod and the pin tweet at the top of that Twitter page is a link to the Telegram chat so just download the app from the Google Play or the iOS store 
store and you'll be able to download the app, jump into the group chat and let us know your thoughts if you are a Red supporter about the potential future of your football club. And Joel says maybe it might take a few years before this ownership situation is sorted out. But one thing we do know for certain is that Liverpool will take on the finalists they face in last season's Champions League. Real Madrid, what a rivalry has brewed up between those two over the years. In the last 16 of the competition as the draw was made yesterday. And we'll dive into those ties next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to FSD. This is your daily Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. And yesterday, the draws for the European knockout stages were made for the Champions League, the Europa League and the Europa Conference. And it is at the top tier of European football where we're going to start this section of today's show as four Premier League sides have made it through to the last 16 of the competition with Liverpool and Real Madrid drawing against each other again, Joel. A repeat of last season's final, a repeat of, what, the 2018 final as well. So these two sides have faced off numerous times over the years. I think there might have even been a semi-final along that journey as well. A big one, this. Big, big tie. And these two sides will face each other in the last 16. Should be well worth a watch. Yeah, this Liverpool-Real Madrid matchup just feels like the Man United-Barcelona matchup between 08 and 2011. We just could never seem to catch a break, obviously apart from that semi-final, but the two finals fell short. Liverpool, two finals against Real Madrid fell short. Uh, now they've drawn them again, we've drawn Barcelona again. It just feels like the whole situation's being mirrored, but I was reading a quite a crazy, not statistic, but kind of analogy which was that uh, with Jurgen Klopp as manager of Liverpool they've only been exclusively knocked out by teams from Madrid but the one season that they actually did win the Champions League guess where they won it in Madrid so it just seems like Madrid is just there uh, it's the bane of their life isn't it in the last five years but I think it's going to be a really I think one of probably the pick of the whole um, draw just purely because as Steve was saying, um, our Liverpool fan on FSD, that regardless of the champion, regardless of the Premier League form, the Champions League is where Liverpool kind of come alive, regardless of where they are domestically in their cups or in the Premier League. And I think that this will be a really tough test though for Real Madrid, even though the fact that they're still unbeaten in La Liga, um, they find themselves second, which is quite crazy with the game in hand. They got beat last and- night, Joe. Oh, did they get beat last night? Yeah, I got beat by Valacano away. Oh, for God's sake. Well, this ruined my introduction to them. I've got to big them up then. Well, they've been beaten by Valacano, apparently. Um, and yeah, I think I think Liverpool would actually pretty fancy themselves, especially the fact that they don't have to play them in the final now, which is 100% guaranteed. I think they'd rather play them now than maybe in the final. Mm. Um, and I just think it's going to be a super entertaining tie because with Liverpool, this could be like the shining light of their season because the Premier League looks to be a pretty, you know, Di Matteo-esque kind of <laughs> season for them. So who knows, they might throw it in February and just focus on this. Well, Steve McNaughton, our resident Liverpool fan here on FSD, said last week that he hopes 
that Liverpool and Real Madrid avoid each other until the final because he thinks that it would be great for them to get their revenge. Um, but no, the last 16, we'll see the two teams face off again. And as Joel says, yeah, some really good clashes between those two over the years. But Liverpool are not the only Premier League side to go through and not the only person to be returning to somewhere they're familiar with because Antonio Conte will be going back to Milan with his Tottenham Hotspur side, not to take on his old club Internazionale, but actually to take on AC Milan, the Rossoneri. This tie is certainly a tasty one with the Antonio Conte link and also Tottenham going through to the last 16 in dramatic fashion, Marley. But do you think this tie is, without disrespecting AC Milan, slightly easier for Tottenham than some people are making out? Yeah, I don't think um, AC Milan are the the beast they once were. It's always going to be hard when you think back to their past and they've had you know, that, that insane team of, you know, Nesta, Maldini, Gattuso, Sedorf, Kaka, Shevchenko, all these, Inzaghi, all these players, you know, it's um it's always going to be hard to get back to that level. But they're one of like, I think I feel like all the Italian teams are pretty similar in terms of none of them are really clear uh, the best, sort of like better than the rest. I think Napoli have been the best this season, but, you know, how many league titles have they won in the last 10 years? Can they stick it out? You know, time will tell. But AC are sort of, they're getting back to it. I think they're, they're, they're coming back into sort of um, title challenging mode. Um, and they're probably not that far off what, what Spurs are in terms of, they're one of the they're one of the clubs that will be there or thereabouts. But the Italian league doesn't have a runaway leader uh, like the Premier League has for the last few years. Um so I think they're kind of similarly matched. It's it's a really interesting game, and and Conte, obviously that narrative going back to the the club, he's um he's been rivals with pretty much his whole career, all his playing career at at Juventus, managing Juventus, then managing Inter. The one common denominator is he hates AC Milan, <laughs> or he should do. Um, so you know it'll be one of the last game, one of the last knockout games in the San Siro as well before they demolish that, uh, knock that down and, and build a new one. But there's loads of little uh, narratives, but it should be a really good game, to be fair, and uh, quite looking forward to that one because Conte going at, like, even more nuts on the touchline is something that makes good TV. Right, Tottenham against Milan, but Manchester City have got the Group F runners-up, RB Leipzig. Now, a lot of people say that City often get easy draws in these things, Joel. But as far as Manchester City having cherry-picked an opponent, if they could, do you think they would have picked the German club? Yeah, I think they would have been one of the more favourable ones, wouldn't they? Uh, especially with the fact that Leipzig are a little bit off the top in the Bundesliga, six points off by, and they're in sixth. Uh, although they haven't been beaten in the last five games. They, they're a team that you don't really want to face because they do have individuals that can definitely hurt you. You know, the likes of Nkunku, uh, Timo Werner. Uh, there are players in there that definitely have the quality. I mean, they always get poached every single summer with some of their players that they end up producing. I mean, Guardiola is going to probably be going to Chelsea in the summer for a massive, massive fee, as will Nkunku to a club, potentially Chelsea as well. So it's not an easy game, but it's one of those games that City will just absolutely steamroll through. It feels like in the Champions League, it just doesn't get easy for City until you know the semi-finals. But you know, saying that, when City first started out in the Champions League, they were getting some ridiculously difficult groups. Um, I remember when they used to get faced against you know peak Napoli when they had Cavani leading the line and they just never seemed to catch a break. Uh, but 
it's a game that you would think is bread and butter for them and they'll easily get through. Obviously, Haaland going back to Germany against Leipzig, who you like to score against for Dortmund. So it's going to be a, a game which City will just see as one where they'll probably end up wrapping it up in the first leg, I would say, if it's at home. And then after that, that's when the real Champions League campaign gets underway for them, I would say. Okay, Borussia Dortmund take on Chelsea. That's the other last 16 tie involving a Premier League side in the Champions League. I could not believe this when I found this out yesterday, Marley. Dortmund and Chelsea have never played against each other before. They gave Man City a good game, didn't they, in the group stages on a couple of occasions, the Borussia Dortmund. And Graham Potter, it'll be his first taste of knockout football in this competition. Yeah, it will. There's a lot of... um... A lot of little narratives as well. You know, the one you mentioned, there's Pulisic going back to um to Dortmund, uh, Aubameyang going going back to Dortmund as well. So there's a few little little um side narratives there. But um, yeah, I mean it's hard to say anything about it now really because we're four months away from from the game, which is the the big thing that um you you kind of forget because of the uh, the the way the draw has been done, it's um you know it's February's miles away. You know you've got January transfer window, you've got the World Cup, anything could happen in there. But I'm not going to nail my prediction to the wall too too early. But I think Chelsea will be kind of pleased that it wasn't a, a huge superpower because you know if you get Real Madrid for example, or you get uh, you get someone who's a bit more of a threat. I think it doesn't help the people that are ready and waiting to, to, to tear Graham Potter apart because, you know, if you go out the Champions League at the first available opportunity, really, you know, it, it looks bad on you, even though it might not reflect how good you are as a, as a manager. I think it can be one of those where it's, um, you, you sort of lose a tight one and then you look back in a couple of years and go, well, he only got, he only got to the first knockout stage of the Champions League and then Potter's like, well, hang on, we got beat by a really good team, but this time it's Dortmund. Bell- what I mean, where's Bellingham gonna be at that point? He, he, there might be talks off the back of the World Cup if he has a good World Cup, where it's like, well, where's Bellingham going in the summer? And Dortmund will be going, well, hang on, was he's still under contract, like they do every year, but ultimately they end up losing the best players anyway. So it's there's, there's a lot of little twists and turns it can take before the uh, they take to the pitch. Do you know what I was just thinking about that as you were speaking and it's not something I've given thought to at all until you finish your sentence which is usually after a summer world cup we see players make moves if they've had a good tournament I mean the best example in recent years is probably James Rodriguez who was really good for Colombia during the 2014 world cup in Brazil and then ended up moving on to Real Madrid but I wonder whether we'll see a similar influence with this winter World Cup and there being a January transfer window immediately following that. It's a really great point that I'd never thought of. But uh, Dortmund take on Chelsea in the last 16. So let's move on to the Europa League where Arsenal are through to the, the last 16 proper. And the way it works in the Europa League is if you top your group, which Arsenal did, you avoid the Champions League teams dropping down. So they've not got to worry about a last 32 match. Manchester United, however, absolutely do. And it doesn't get much bigger, Joel. Than Barcelona. What a tie. Um, so many good opportunities for Manchester United to draw a big club in the round of 32. Juventus were an option. Ajax were an option. But in the end, it's Barca's name that came out of the hat. What do you make of that? An initial reaction, obviously, I was massively excited for it because it's Manchester United against Barcelona. But then when you actually look at it even deeper, it's kind of sad that these two clubs have to face each other in the last 32 of the Europa League. Because these two teams used to be like the pinnacle of Europe for like three straight years 
where they were facing each other in the Champions League finals, semi-finals, and they were just consistently going up toe-to-toe with each other. And the fact that they're having to face each other now in the last 32 is a little bit bittersweet. It feels like this should be a semi-final with the way in which it's all gearing up and the hype around it. But regardless, the two of the biggest clubs in Europe, it's still going to be an absolutely massively sold-out event. I know in Barcelona, they're going to be massively excited about it. The same with in Manchester. Uh, even Xavi himself has said in a press conference, conference it's the worst possible draw they could have got and that their luck is so bad in draws so you know the respect is there with both teams and I think United are probably going into it in a little bit more better I don't know I feel like it's very equally weighted because obviously in La Liga Barcelona are doing pretty well they've only drawn one lost one they're top of the league they've just gone top of the league and that's against the Real Madrid side who you know everyone's looking at as the, the European champions and the ones to beat this season so they are going into it probably in a slightly better way, better form. Obviously, Frankie de Jong is going to be finally playing his football at Old Trafford. I can't believe it. Didn't think it would ever happen. <laughs> um, but it's going to be... Yeah, it's, it's, it's the toughest tie we could have faced, to be honest. I think probably the winner of this actually goes on and wins the competition, to be honest. And... Yeah, I mean, you can't really ask for more than having a game at camp now. I would have preferred to play this game than, you know, play against some European minnow and end up having a really struggled two legs and the players don't look like they're motivated. At least with this one, you know for sure that, for example, Ronaldo and Casemiro, they're going to be ridiculously up for this because these this team was their arch nemesis for like a decade straight so I think it'll be a really interesting tie but then you've also got to deal with Robert Lewandowski and some other top class players who still play for Barcelona and even though they are in the Europa League now and didn't qualify for the knockout stages of the Champions League as we mentioned previously they are top of the Spanish division so doesn't mean that they're they're easy pickings that's for sure big game that Manchester United versus Barcelona that will be taking place after Christmas as will all of the Champions League last 16 ties and as I mentioned before West Ham and Arsenal no games for them because of course they're through as group winners in their respective competitions right it's a Tuesday on Football Social Daily which means next up we're going to do our top threes and this time it's World Cup songs looking forward to this we'll do it next on FSD Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, final part of Tuesday's episode of the podcast. We've discussed Liverpool's owners asking for fresh investment. We've discussed the Premier League clubs in European action after the new year as the knockout stages of those tournaments begin. But now, as we often do on a Tuesday, it's time to choose our top threes. And in a matter of days, the World Cup will be upon us. Qatar, the venue, the first ever Winter World Cup, the first World Cup to take place in the Middle East. But every World Cup needs a good World Cup song. And we've already heard from Joe Wilkinson and David Earle on Football Social Daily in recent weeks as they've released their new tune for the tournament, which is called Cup for the Cupboard. We've also seen um, (laughs) some other World Cup songs being released and we've actually got um, another one on the way for you later on next week. So make sure you stick around for that. But we need to try and decide between us for our top threes today, gents, the best three World Cup songs of all time. So let's give ourselves a bit of thinking time. If you haven't already got one that's sprung to mind, there are some absolute classics We'll go to you first, Joel. What are you picking? 
All right, f- f- I'm gonna let you finish. But are we all in agreement that the top one is waving flag? No, 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 <laughs> no, no. It's oh got to be whack. I mean, oh it's my. from the same tournament. It's no. got to be whack a whack. Oh, surely, Waka is my pick no, as well. No, 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 yeah, that's a banger. No, waving flag. Okay, all right, all right. Well, I actually forgot about waving flag, but that's the song by Kanan, right? It's like oh, when you hear that, that's when you know it's real. That's when you know. I can hear everyone stopping listening to the podcast. I'll put the music in so that no one gets annoyed. Here's, here's how the song sounds. This is Waving Flag by Kanan. Okay, so there's the tune, Joel. That's your pick, is it? I mean, come on. Does that not give you goosebumps? I remember when I was in 2010, I was in year eight in high school. We'd just be waiting <laughs> for 3 p.m., ticking down, get back home. There'd be a match on straight away. The tune would be playing. I'd have a window open because it was such a nice summer's month, I remember. I remember the weather was incredible that month. And it just encapsulated everything about what the tournament was about, like celebrating African heritage, um, just the whole feel it was just iconic honestly I don't think a World Cup song will ever get topped because by, because that is just absolutely monumental and to be fair that World Cup brought probably the best World Cup songs because it just felt like every single one was an absolute banger well Waka Waka by Shakira was also for the 2010 World Cup this time for Africa as the song goes yeah that's class marley that's a proper world cup tune that's a banger honestly (laughs) i mean i'm not exactly a shakira super fan but it's just one of them songs you can't you can't not have a smile on your face when that comes on that's get, just get the hips going marley <laughs> oh the hips yeah hips, the hips go. don't lie the hips don't hips, lie my hips don't lie my, my, hip, my hips don't move at the rest of times but uh never mind uh that, yeah no it's class i love it you know another one from that world cup as well oh africa you remember that one no no i that, don't oh, joel. i mean joel this world oh. cup has got a special place no, in my heart, but honestly this was like the first Joel's gonna be on mastermind next cup. week with the, the 2010 <laughs> world cup as he especially it was the, it was one of the worst world cups in terms of quality but the best in oh, terms of no, i mean the best else. bit about it was the, the shabalala, shabalala. <laughs> goal in the first game yeah <laughs> the jabalani and the yeah oh my god it for the vibes the world cup 2010 can never be topped Vuvuzelas as well um oh, oh goodness yeah. me well i prefer waka waka to waving flag but you've made a decent suggestion there so before we actually do flat out decide our top three i think we should throw another couple of suggestions in of course there's three lines by david skinner no nope. by david frank Baddiel skinner and david Badil <laughs> and the lightning seeds of course which was released for the 96 european championships it was an england song and then it was rejuvenated or rejigged redone whatever you want to call it for the 98 world cup in france which france actually won yes,
that's become an anthem in its own right, Marley, hasn't it? Particularly in the last few years with England reaching the semi-final of the World Cup in Russia in 2018 and then the final of the Euros in 2021. So that's kind of really picked up in popularity again some 20 years on. Yeah, that's that's one that'll uh, that'll never die. Um, it'll always get sung on the terraces, like, you know, generations it'll just get sort of passed down as as the world cup song and that's kind of what everyone wants really you know they're still living off the royalties of that they're still getting a fair fair few quid every uh every time it's every thousand time it's played or however it works but another you know, one you know what i love about mentioned that song. Is, you know what i love about it is the fact that i've got uh, a few friends like for example uh when we faced italy in the euros final and you know it goes is coming home everyone who's not from england thinks that we're saying it in a boastful way, as oh, if we know it's that it sarcastic, is. isn't it? And yeah, yeah it's it's like it's, it's self-deprecating, and it's the fact that every other person seems to think we are superior and that we're going to yeah. win it easily. It's actually not, and that's what I actually love about that song. Yeah. It's very satire, it's satirical, isn't it? I totally get what you're saying, but I mean, in terms of other nations thinking British people are arrogant and above them, um, they've got a point. To be they fair, have a point. <laughs> <laughs> even though that song probably doesn't um, apply. I'm gonna throw one in there, guys. I'm gonna throw one in. I think it has to be in there. John Barnes. I was gonna. Oh, this, the rap, World Emotion. That's what I was about to say. I don't know if he's more before, famous for yeah. that than for his football. Surely I'm not. Joking. No, I'm joking. But I mean, every time someone sees him, they don't say, oh, what a great player. They, they say, just go, you've got to hold and give. You've got to hold and give, but do it at the right time. You can be slow or fast, but you must get to the line. They'll always hit you and hurt you. Defend and attack. There's only one way to beat them. Get round the back. No one says, all right, John, how you doing? They just, <laughs> they just start rapping at him. Poor geezer, he must have struggled with it. Like yeah, World mate. Emotion by New Order was that for the Italian ninety World Cup, but also an England theme song, Marley. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> there was that. There was that trend, wasn't there, where every time a tournament came round, the the squad would release a song, wouldn't it? And it was it was the most cringe thing then, and it, it's the cringe thing now when you you see back to it, you sort of see the videos and stuff, and all the awkward players. Standing around a microphone, like a some sort of ugly choir, and it's like <laughs> like Live Aid. Oh my god! Yeah, a bit like Live Aid. Yeah, uh, you see Tony Adams, and twenty two years later, he's on Strictly shifting uh, shifting around the, uh, the the ballroom. But it's um, yeah, I'm glad that's died out. To be honest, I couldn't. I don't think I could deal with uh, with that tradition keeping up. <laughs> Um, here's a wildcard suggestion and this absolutely wouldn't be in my top three because the song has been done to death and I, yeah, I'm at the borderline c- cannot stand it stage. Sweet Caroline has become a massive anthem for England football, um, particularly since... Just events? Yeah, just general events, yeah, boxing and stuff like that. But it's not a World Cup song so we can't qualify it but that song has just been played and played and played again, Joel, hasn't it, over the last few years? It was special last Euros when, you know, that semi-final after Denmark and everyone was kind of just bouncing to it. It felt special mm. then. But the fact that it's been at every single boxing yeah. event, every single... TV adverts, yeah, everything. everything. Yeah. It's just one of those where it's getting We've tiring. Even got Tyson we Fury new, covering new it now, aren't you, for the charity or something? Yeah. Releasing his own version of it. Like, don't need that. Yeah, that's no Do you guys good. remember the James Corden one that they released for the 2010 World Cup? No, and probably for good reason as well. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to remember it. <laughs> Please don't. All right, it. okay. Well, it sounds like we've come to a conclusion here. Wacker Wacker is going in 
that is going into our top three World Cup songs of all time. I think Three Lions has to go in there. We're all England no, supporters. So I think that has to go in there as a, as a suggestion. So that leaves us one spot and it's between Waving Flag and World in Motion. And we've not really considered any of the other World Cup songs that there were, but that's because I can't really remember any. So maybe, Joel, it has to be Waving Flag. Oh, it has so. to be. That should be the first name on the team sheet. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Waka Waka is superior for me. Kanan is sat at home absolutely buzzing with this result that he's ousted World in Motion in a <laughs> in a, a, a top three on a <laughs> podcast in England. He's going to put it on his LinkedIn page as a as an accolade. Uh, Football Social yeah, Daily's top three World Cup songs. Okay, Kanan waving flag is in, Joel. Well done. You've got your own way. And actually, as Joel says, the 2010 World Cup wasn't particularly great in terms of quality on the pitch, but in terms of the atmosphere and the vibes off of it with two World Cup songs in our top three, Waka Waka and Waving Flag, and of course the Vuvuzelas and everything that revolved around the first World Cup ever being played in Africa. Certainly a memorable tournament. Will Qatar 2022, the first World Cup to ever be in the Middle East and the first World Cup to ever be in the European World winter will that have similar vibes as well we will wait and see and we'll keep you up to date on this um, podcast of course football social daily hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it but we have reached the end of tuesday's edition of the show thank you marley thank you joel joel's gonna go and listen to canine's greatest hits now for the rest of the day we're gonna dive off and we'll catch you a little bit later on on fsd shots but from us for now that's it speak to you next time Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.